welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. A few years ago, Jen and I were attending a wedding of really close friends. And as it happens at a wedding, the table you're sitting at, you might know some of the people, some of the people you don't. There was a guy sitting at our table. I knew a little bit, but we all didn't know each other. But he told us this uh, story, which was quite hard to believe, but true. Um, and he never told us not to tell anyone. In fact, he was telling strangers. So I'm pretty sure he's fine with me telling you and it being on our YouTube channel and podcast. He said one morning, he, uh, it was a Saturday, he wanted to get some painting done at his house. So he hustled out of bed, went over to the nearest Home Depot and was looking in the paint section for what he needed and, you know, asked someone at the paint desk for some help. And they kind of looked at him a bit funny and they helped him. But he said, man, they're, they're kind of rude, standoffish, whatever, but kept going, got his paint, got into line. And he said, you know, some people were looking at me and I, I thought, do they recognize me? I don't recognize them. Why are they looking at me? So he's standing there and then he notices that he's like, man, it's kind of breezy in here. My legs feel cold. Maybe they got the windows open. And he looks down and he realizes he has no pants on. <laughs> he got out of bed, put on a shirt, no pants, underwear, fortunately, and walked to Home Depot. Now, I don't, maybe that's never happened to you. Very likely it has never happened to you. But perhaps you've all been caught in the middle of changing or whatever. And it's a really awkward, embarrassing experience. And of course it brought to mind probably two of my favorite minutes in sitcom history. So I just had to share that with you. Did anybody call here asking for Vandalay Industries? No, what happened to you? All right, listen closely. I was at the unemployment office. And I told them I was very close to getting a job with Vandalay Industries, and I gave them your phone number. So well, now, when the phone rings, you have to answer, Vandalay Industries. I'm Vandalay Industries? Right. What is that? You're in latex. Latex? Right. And what do I do with latex? I don't know. You manufacture it. Right here in this little apartment? And what do I say about you? You're considering hiring me for your latex salesman. I'm going to hire you as my latex salesman? Right. I don't think so. Why would I do that? Because I asked you to. Well, if you think I'm looking for someone to just sit at a desk, pushing papers around, you can forget it. My headache is trying to manufacture this stuff. Vandalay Industries. <laughs> Kel Varnson speaking. May we help you? Oh, hi, Keith. No, I was just joking around. No, no, I don't mind at all. No, 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 I can cancel. Sure, we'll do something next week. No, it's no problem at all. Okay, take it easy. That was Keith, we're gonna do something next week. What delay industries? No! Vandalay! Say Vandalay! No, you're way, way, way off. Well, yeah, yeah, that's the right number, but this is an apartment. No, what? Vandalay! Say Vandalay! Industries! Yeah, no problem, no problem. How did you know 
not be my latex salesman. You know, these are all ridiculous scenarios that we've talked about and funny. But the truth is the experience of feeling half-clothed or half-naked um, and needing to cover up and being embarrassed is actually a common human experience. All of us have felt it in some way. And, and maybe it's not even overstating it to say it this way, that one of the dominant experiences, ailments, or battles that all of us have as human beings is the battle with shame, with that feeling or the instinct or the need to cover up, of feeling half clothed, half naked, of, of feeling like we have messes we want to hide, things we hope no one know, fear of being exposed. I think it is common in the human experience. And as I look at our culture and I look at my own life and I think these are the ways we actually are common for all of us that we actually try to deal with it. Um, we, we can say we can own it, <laughs> or escape it, or cover it, or project it, right? Some in our culture say, hey, just own it. There's, no, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Just be out there, live out there, own it, rock it. You don't have to be ashamed about anything. You shouldn't have to cover up anything. There are others, and maybe this is true for all of us, with the amount of media we have exposed to, with the amount of substances we now have uh, available to us, many of which are becoming more and more legal and accessible, and the busyness that we have of living in an urban and suburban context, it is very easy to escape it, to escape shame, that we just fill our lives with so many things so we don't have to think about what we really feel about ourselves. We don't have to think about the things we hope no one ever finds out about ourselves. We can own it. We can escape it. We can also cover it. You know, cosmetic changes. I'm going to try to lose some weight. I'm going to try to, you know, learn some more things. I'm going to try to look better. I'm going to try to sort of be better. I'm going to learn self-improvement. Maybe I'll go back to school. Maybe I'll change jobs. Maybe I will be able to shake this feeling of shame by doing better, being better, looking better. Own it, escape it, cover it. Or what psychologists call, we project it. Projection is when we basically uh, are redirecting our own sense of shame at somebody else. And so we are angry and critical and judgmental and we want to cancel and silence other people who have in them what we see in ourselves. But if we can somehow find it more in someone else, it will take our eyes off our own shame and we can shame somebody else instead. And certainly cancel culture in many ways is built on this defense mechanism of projection. It is actually things that we see in ourselves that we look to find more of in others so that we can be angry at them instead of being angry at ourselves. So we can call out their shame instead of someone or us ourselves calling out our own shame. Own it, <laughs> cover it, escape it, project it. But you know, and even though we all do this and we've all battled with shame, and we all do, that those ways aren't enough. <laughs> On some basic level, we can't seem to shake it. It doesn't go away. And we know actually, even when we try to like point the finger and blame at somebody else, it, it ends up becoming toxic in relationships. It creates the kind of culture that we're in now in many ways. And we know that if we try to escape it, reality becomes harder and harder to come back to after we're done binge watching, after we're done coming down from a high, after we're done um, being busy and we're quiet and silent, we're still left with who we are and what we think of ourselves or what we're afraid other people might know or other people might think 
of us. It's the reason tribalism is so appealing right now, to find people with whom we don't have to be ashamed, who will say, hey, don't worry, or I'm the same as you, and I'll, uh, it doesn't matter to me, and we'll just accept that and rock it and don't worry. And there's certainly something very comforting about finding people who we believe will accept us, who are like us, who will say, hey, we don't have to be ashamed. But again, psychologists and sociologists note that the problem with tribalism is it relies on continuing to accentuate the differences between my tribe and your tribe. It is another form of defense or projection where I, the, the differences between me and someone else, I can begin to magnify them and I want to vilify them and I have to continue to keep them as the enemy, as the other, in order to feel safe inside my tribe. And so tribalism itself isn't the answer. And yet community is a huge part of the solution. Community is actually essential in dealing with our battle with shame. It's not just essential. It's actually God's plan and God's idea. We find out if we read the scriptures that community is the way for us to actually deal with and win a battle over shame. The reason we're talking about this is because we are in a series about community. What does it mean to be the church or be the church again? Because so many of our natural rhythms of gathering together and being the church have been disrupted or are halted or, you know, um, not allowed for a period of time. And we're in this series called Reset because we need to remember the things that are essential, but that are easy to forget. And part of the reason I said we're doing this is so that you ever had this experience where someone says, oh, you went to church or you're part of a church or whatever. What kind of church is it? People ask you that question, right? If I tell them I'm a pastor, oh, what kind of church is it? Well, this is, uh, we're trying to do a series right now so you can answer that question. One is the first thing you'll say is, please, the first thing you say when anyone asks you, what kind of church is it? Say, oh, we're a church with Jesus at the center. We love Jesus. We talk about Jesus. We talk to Jesus. We believe Jesus speaks to us. We sing about him. We sing to him. We believe our lives have been changed by him. And then you might describe these things that we're calling values to describe what, what kind of community are we? And so last week we talked about the fact that we are a community that believes we are better together. That even though it's hard to actually be unified and diverse, it's something worth fighting for. We're better together. And this week we're talking about the fact that we expect the mess. What kind of community are we? We're a community that expects the mess. And the truth is what we'll find about this idea of expecting the mess, the mess, the dealing with the mess and the shame in our own lives, the things that want, that make us feel like we're half naked or we want to cover up or we're half clothed or the things we don't want anyone to know about us. This feeling, this experience is not new. <laughs> There's about like 1500 chapters or something like that in the Bible. In chapter three, we find a picture of the first two human beings covering themselves up or trying to cover themselves up because they're ashamed and at the same time blaming, right? The projection, it's happening from the third page of the Bible, the third page of the story of human history. We find human beings battling, dealing with shame. And in fact, much of the rest of the story, or at least the first half of the story, what we called the Old Testament, is all of the ineffective ways that we have with dealing with that sense of shame, of owning it, of covering it up of, um, you know, being distracted by other things, trying to forget it, escaping it, or blaming other people. And we find that the, the course of human history, this is not new in all of the ineffective ways that we have with dealing with it until Jesus comes along. 
And the community that began to gather around Jesus that we said before there was a word church, before there was a Bible, before the word Christian was used, there was this group of people, the followers of the way of Jesus. And they believed because of the life and the teaching and the death and resurrection that their lives had been completely changed. And in fact, that Jesus, part of his plan was to form a new community, a community gathered around him and a community that would present a whole new way of dealing with the sense of shame, of dealing with the mess in our lives, of dealing with the instinct that we have to want to cover up and to be afraid to feel like we're half clothed, we're half naked, that the community of Jesus is actually the way of dealing with shame once and for all. And we're using a letter that was written by one of the earliest kind of pastors or followers of Jesus uh, called the Apostle Paul. Maybe you heard of St. Paul or, you know, his mom knew him as Saul and then he changed his name to Paul. As he wrote it to a group of churches who were a new community of believers, new believers all around what is now modern day Turkey in the region of Ephesus. And he wrote this letter to the Ephesians to help them understand so much of what's written in the book of Ephesians is try to help them understand who they were now as a community of Jesus followers. And I want you to listen to this particular passage where Paul writes them about this dynamic, this, this kind of crisis, their battle with the, the kinds of ways and behaviors and the messes in their lives and in a sense feeling half clothed and all of the ineffective ways that they were trying to cover it up and what that was doing in their community and what he was advising them to do instead. And I want you to listen, even as it's read, to the kind of uh, inference or the, the metaphor of clothing that he's encouraging them to think about. Have a listen. You are taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is a letter. This section of scripture in particular is one that basically says we expect the mess. As a community of Jesus followers, we expect the mess. Now, he's not saying, well, there's no such thing as mess. He's not saying that. Neither is he saying, hey, the mess is okay. It's all good. You know, own it, rock it. That's not what he's saying. But he is actually describing to them this dynamic of being kind of half clothed in their lives. That they're wearing some stuff that stinks. An old way of life, old clothes, or they're kind of half naked or they're, they're trying to cover up who they are or who they are underneath is coming out and it's not pretty. It's messy. And the apostle Paul is not pretending that this doesn't exist. He's coming out and right saying it. There is mess in your lives, in your community, and you have to deal with it. In a sense, he's saying, hey, look, we're all in the same boat. You know, he's not singling out certain people. In fact, in the language he's describing, this is what we are all like. We are all people who are caught changing halfway, right? We're halfway. We, we, we were something. We're not quite something new. We're in the middle and it's messy. In a sense, he's saying we, we expect a mess introduces this idea of sin, 
Now, the idea of sin, many of us think, oh, that's a negative word. It's not a negative word. And if you've been to our church before, you've heard me say this. Sin is actually a hopeful or a positive word because it is a diagnosis. It's actually trying to explain reality. There is such a thing as mess in your lives. There is such a thing as the way you think and the way you act and the way you interact with each other that is not okay. It's not just something to rock. It's actually having an impact on each other. It is a sin. It's sin and it's a mess. And he said, if we expect a mess, we're going to be a kind of community that says, hey, girlfriend, like your clothes stink. Dude, you are standing in Home Depot with no pants on, right? Like that's what he's, he's calling it out. And he's including himself in this and the whole community saying, this is what's happening within our community. He's not afraid to talk about it. He's saying, there's such a thing as sin. We are a mess. We see it. And I think one of the things to note in this, it's a letter written to a community of people. And a lot of what the Apostle Paul calls out is something that you will discover, even if you never read the Bible before, even if you never understood the concept of sin, or you're not really sure you like it or believe in it. Once you come into contact with people in community, once you are in close contact with people, close friends, people who have become like family or in your own family or in a marriage or in a church, not people that you know, you're, you're uh, you know, Facebook friends with and you follow whatever. I mean, people who you are actually in relationship with, what you will find is the mess starts to come to the surface. And if it hasn't yet, just give it a bit of time because we are all in the same boat. There's mess in all of our lives. It's neither loving nor living in reality to say everything is fine. You catch me on that? It's neither loving nor living in reality. It's delusional to say, hey, I'm fine. You're fine. We're all fine. Don't worry about it. It's not loving either. It's not loving to the people in your life to say that you're fine and you don't need to change. If you really love the people in your life, you are going to want to become more than who you are. You're going to want to deal with the messes that inevitably come out because here's why. The people you are close to are affected by your mess. And if you don't want to change, you don't love them enough. Right? I don't love you enough if I'm not willing as a pastor, as your friend, or as a husband to my wife or a dad to my kids. I don't love them enough if I'm not willing to actually acknowledge I have a mess going on inside me and it's affecting, it's affecting other people. It's not loving to tell someone else, hey, you're fine, don't worry about it, and just let them stay in the mess they're in and try to convince them there's no such thing as mess at all. That's not loving. That's apathy. That's you protecting yourself because you don't want to have an awkward conversation because you don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation because you don't want to maybe admit that there's mess in your lives. And if you start to talk about theirs, well, you have to talk about yours. It's not loving. It's self-preservation. True love and true reality, non-delusional way of living is to be honest that there's mess in me and there's mess in you. And quite frankly, when we get into relationship with each other, it starts to come out. And our messes are actually affecting each other. And so the, what the Apostle Paul is saying is not something negative or damning or judgmental. He's just saying, this is the reality for all of us. And let's be honest, it's affecting us. And he actually begins to list in this thing, different ways that their mess, their, their, you know, things they're trying to cover up, the stuff in them that they don't want people to know is coming out and affecting it. And just kind of to paraphrase, he's saying, look, you're using each other. You're in unhealthy sexual relationships with each other that are affecting other people. You're lying to each other. You're being angry with each other. Some of you are stealing from each other. You're bitter with each other. You're fighting with each other. You're speaking poorly about each other. And you're speaking with hostility and frustration and rage to each other. 
This is all affecting your relationships. He says, listen, you're Jesus followers. You follow a new way now. And that's why he uses this analogy of clothing. He's saying, hey, you're supposed to put on new clothes. You're supposed to be clothed in a different kind of way. Instead, you're like half clothed, you're naked, or you got old stinky clothes on that don't belong to you anymore. Friends, if we are a true community of Jesus followers, we expect the mess in ourselves and in each other. We don't like it. We're not okay with it. We don't say, oh, it's fine. We don't say there isn't such a thing. But we are a community that expects the mess because we understand we're all messy and broken people. And some of it is imperfection, some of it's flaws, some of it's mistakes, but some of it's sin. And inevitably, we affect each other with it. And to be loving and to be real, in touch with reality, we have to say we expect the mess. And if we are a community that expects the mess, it means three things. And we can find those even in this passage. It means three things. The first thing is this, we will be honest about the mess. If we expect it, we will be honest about it in our lives and each other's lives. We will not try to hide it or cover up or hide it in other people's lives. We will not pretend we're fine. Now, a lot of people think, oh, I can't come to church because I'm a mess. And I go, no, I come to church because I'm a mess. I'm not gonna come into this place thinking that people expect me to have it together. People know I'm a mess because they know they're a mess because we are broken people. That is our reality as human beings. And this is not going to be a community where we are sh uh, living in shame, trying to cover up and hide and blame. We're going to be a community that is honest about the mess in our own lives and honest with each other, that we know actually this is true. No pretending, no lying to other people about what we're really dealing with, about what's going on in our marriage, about the addiction we have to pornography or the battle we have with money or the fact that we haven't handled our money. We're not gonna lie to each other about what's really going on in our lives. And we're not gonna lie to each other about the things we see in their lives, but are too afraid to be honest with them. Because if we really love each other and we really love ourselves and we really wanna live in reality, we're going to be honest about the mess. And we need more words than just, oh, everybody makes mistakes. A mistake is when you lock your keys in the car. Sin is when you yell at your spouse because they lock the keys in the car. Sin is when you get in the car and drive somewhere and you're angry and cursing and frustrated and kind of like having a bit of road rage with the person who's driving 80 in the left lane because everybody knows it's a hundred or more in the left lane. That's sin. Sin is when you love and value your car more than you love and value people. Those aren't mistakes. That is sin. And the community that expects the mess is not afraid to be honest about it in our own lives and with each other. Now, that sounds scary, right? Oh, is this just going to be like a call-out culture? We say, well, you do this and you didn't. No, not, this isn't about blaming. This isn't about projection. This is about honest, uh, honest and loving acknowledgement that I'm not okay inside and I have messes and even though, um, and that, that they're even worse in the church because we try to pretend that we don't have them or we over-spiritualize them or whatever. Or we somehow think to be loving is not to say anything to anyone about the things we see in their lives or about the way their mess is affecting us or we see it affecting other people. The reason we can do this is because we are a community, as we said two weeks ago, with Jesus at the center. Jesus, the only one who had no mess in his life, but felt quite comfortable to be immersed in community with people who were completely a mess. Jesus, who said, I came for those who are messy. And in fact, what he meant by that is the ones who acknowledge they have a mess are the ones who I can be in relationship with. 
If you think you're fine, we're not going to have a relationship. That's what he kept saying to the religious people around him. He's saying, how come you're doing this? How come you're doing that? How come you're hanging out with all these people who are a mess? He says, hey, I came for the people who have a mess. The ones who are fine don't need me. In other words, like saying, as if you're fine. If you think you're fine, you're just not willing to be in touch with reality and you're not loving enough. The reason we can do that in the community is because Jesus is at the center. The one who said, come to me. I have a remedy for your shame. I want to clothe you with better clothing than the stinky stuff you're wearing. I want to be able to honestly say, you're half naked. I've come to clothe you. As someone once said, he, Christ, who was stripped naked on the cross so that we could be clothed, so that we could have our shame covered in a way that is healthy and kind and good. Friends, that's why we can be a community like that. And if we're a community that expects the mess, we're a community first and foremost that's going to be honest about the mess. Before I tell you the two other things that this means, I want to do something that we try to do from time to time because we're a community that expects the mess. And that is to have some time of confession. Now, sometimes we do that with each other. But today the band's going to lead us in a song that is an invitation that says, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. It's this invitation to say, why are you hiding? Why are you living in shame, trying to cover up, trying to escape, trying to own it, trying to project it? Come to Christ who says, you don't need to hide things from me. I see it all anyway. The Father's arms are open wide. It's in a sense a song we sing to each other. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are, we say it to each other because we're all going together. And so I want to just pause. And as the band leads us, I want you to take these moments to just say, okay, maybe, maybe I've been trying to own this and say it's fine. Maybe I've been trying to cover it up with other cosmetic changes that don't really fix me. Maybe I've been trying to escape it and just distract myself from it. Maybe I've been projecting it and been angry and blaming and critical of other people because I just don't want to acknowledge what's going on with me. Let us together come to the altar and use this time as a time to confess anything in your life that you feel like, I don't want to hide this anymore.
that expects the mess. First and foremost, we will be honest about it with ourselves and each other, knowing that Jesus, the one who, who invites us in, is willing <laughs> to be in community with us and be in relationship with us. We don't need to cover up. But secondly, it means we will be a community that forgives each other just as Jesus has forgiven us. Paul says this, he says, and this is so interesting, right? He takes some time to actually unpack some of the mess and he's honest about it and the ways that they're interacting with each other in destructive things. And yet, isn't it so interesting that what he says to them at the end is, clean up, you know, do better, be better. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Be kind and compassionate to each other and forgive each other just as Christ has forgiven you. One of the primary solutions really to the way that their mess was affecting each other is to say, hey, if you realize Christ has accepted you and forgiven you and cleansed you of all your mess, that's how you're meant to relate to each other now. Not with mess, but you, because you expect it, you know you're all in the same boat. Therefore, you can show compassion and kindness and grace and give forgiveness to one another. 
somebody said it this way. It's actually one of the most powerful ways to experience the forgiveness of Jesus for us is when someone with skin on, flesh and blood, forgives us. We actually have this incredible opportunity to show the grace and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ to each other as we forgive each other. right? This is what Jesus said. I'm forgiven. Therefore, I can forgive you. Right? I don't need to project on you because my shame is covered by Jesus. I don't need to blame you because I am secure in who he has made me to be. Therefore, I can forgive you. I expect that your mess is going to affect me directly and indirectly. Even the things you uh, don't intend and even the things you do intend to hurt me. I expect that when I get in relationship with people, in my marriage, in my family, certainly in my church, I will get hurt. I will be offended. I, and there's going to be an opportunity to forgive because I expect the mess. Not only are we going to be honest with each other, we are going to forgive each other. Friends, if there's no such thing as sin, you know, and we live in a culture that many ways says there's no such thing as sin, then there's no such thing as forgiveness. <laughs> if there's no sin, there's no need to forgive. There's no need to be gracious. And I think if I can be honest, it's why our culture, even though we've said there's no such thing as sin, has become a very, and people say that because they don't like the judgmental aspect of that. And maybe, yeah, they've grown up in churches or homes where sin was used as a way of judging and criticizing and shaming and blaming. The problem is if you get rid of the diagnosis, if you get rid of the idea of sin, there's nothing to fix what's wrong. And in the end, we become a culture that is more judgmental, more critical, more angry. Isn't that where we're at? Even though our culture says there's no sin, you'd think it would actually make us more gracious and more accepting. Instead, it feels like we're becoming more angry, more judgmental. And now it's not the church that's becoming like that, even though there's many parts of the church. It seems the culture at large is like that. There's so much blaming. There's so much criticism. There's so much anger. It is a very unforgiving culture because if there's no sin, there's no forgiveness. Forgiveness is this beautiful, gracious way of dealing with and healing shame. Right? When the worst about me is known, and it's not just glossed over or forgotten or said, yeah, it doesn't matter. But I'm able to actually minister forgiveness and grace and healing. <laughs> then I can actually begin to be healed from shame. A community that expects the mess is going to be honest with ourselves and each other. But we're also going to be a community that is quick and ready to forgive. And thirdly, and this is where Paul starts this whole thing where we read in verses 21 and 22. When we are a community that expects the mess, that is honest with each other in love and sincerity, be willing to admit our mess and talk to other people about theirs. When we are a community that actually learns to quickly forgive, it opens the door for us to become someone new. <laughs> That's what he says, right? That's what he says. You got to take these old clothes off. You were given new ones. Right? This isn't about cosmetic changes or try to fix, try to stuff your anger down so you don't lose it on the person you're upset with. You know, try to lose a little bit of weight so you feel better about your body. Try to do this, try to cosmetic changes. This is about transformation. This is about actually becoming new people. That is the gift when we expect the mess and we're honest about it and we're forgiving each other. It opens the door for you and I to become people who are new, who are clothed in a sense with Jesus, that we become new people. If we're a community that's really committed to this, friends, if we are willing to live in reality and live in love and to be honest about the mess 
in our own lives and others' lives and realize that it's not loving to say nothing. It's not loving to say, hey, don't worry. It's a love that loves us as we are, but a love that loves us too much to leave us as we are, right? That's the love of God. If we are that kind of a community, it opens the door for transformation. As I was preparing this sermon, Victor Hugo's novel, Les Miserables, came to mind. And the main character is Jean Valjean. He's an ex-con. And he has an encounter with the Bishop Muriel that is, I think, a small, just a sliver of a picture of what it looks like to be in community with people who expect the mess, who offer us grace and open the door for us to become new people. And so I want you to watch that just for a moment now. Sleep in the stable, please. I'm hungry. Get out. Hey! Come and suffer, you are weary. And the night is cold out here. Though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. There is wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning. Rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. We have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver 
to become an honest man by the witness of the martyrs by the passion and the blood God has raised you out of darkness I have saved your soul for We show hospitality, right, when we expect the mess. Like hospitality is the most visible demonstration of the fact that we expect the mess. Not entertainment, not, you know, hosting a dinner for someone. Hospitality where we welcome people into our lives. Close enough for them to see our mess and for ours to see theirs and for the relationship to become a transforming one. And this is something that in many ways we have not been able to do during the pandemic. And yet we are open, you know, we're allowed to have people in our homes now to a certain number. We're still allowed to meet outdoors. And friends, this is a place, it's one of the most tangible ways that we can begin to express the fact that we expect the mess. In our lives and others' lives, right? Some of us don't invite people into our homes and don't uh, engage in close relationship and hospitality with because uh, we're afraid of their mess or we don't know what to do about it. We can't fix it. We don't know how to deal with it. But some of us don't do that because we're afraid of others seeing our mess, sometimes literally the mess of our homes, but more profoundly, right, the mess of who we are, or that maybe our, 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 um, you know, we're not in a stage of life where we feel like we're very successful or we don't look the way we think we want to. We're not happy with where we're at in our lives and in our careers or whatever. We're afraid. And yet hospitality that's saying, saying, no, we expect the mess. And so when we come into relationship with each other, we provide an opportunity to be honest about who we are with each other, to offer forgiveness and grace, just even a meal or invitation is an act of grace and to open the door for us to become new people together. And so I would encourage you even in this season to put that out in front of you as something you want to lean into more. What does it mean to actually be the church in this season? It is to engage in hospitality because we expect the mess. And secondly, something we're featuring all this month as we start at the end of the month is Alpha Online. Online Alpha. Alpha is one of those places um, that expects the mess. It's a place where we invite people to come, even if you don't exactly know what you believe. And maybe you're somebody saying, I'm just checking out this faith thing. I'm not sure. Or I walked away actually a long time ago, and I'm still trying to piece together what's true, what I really want to. Alpha is one of those spaces where you can ask questions, any questions. Maybe you have people in your life who are like, hey, church is not for me, but I'm interested. I'm spiritual. I have questions. Alpha is the perfect place to do that, to do that online, where we basically talk about faith and the meaning of life and Jesus. And what does it mean to have a life? Uh, shaped by him and following him. But it is a place ultimately of hospitality where all are welcomed in as we are to be able to be honest and real about who we are and experience grace, forgiveness, welcome, acceptance, and the invitation to become someone new. Friends, we talk a lot, and maybe you've talked about this, I certainly have as a pastor, like, oh, coming back to church. Yeah, but I think what, that, that's not really the, what are we saying? We mean, come back to church. Come back to an hour on Sunday for some teaching and some music. I mean, you can get that on your couch, right? With your own cup of coffee and whatever, and you don't have to get out of your sweatpants. I get that. That's not what it means to be the church. That's not what we're actually called to come back to. We're called to come back to being a kind of community 
that you and I and the world around us desperately needs. A community where we are honest and real about what is going on in our lives. Honest and real about what's really taken place in the pandemic in, the, in, in our own home, in our own hearts, in our own relationships, in our own lives, in our own mental health. A place where we are offered grace, acceptance, and forgiveness. And a place where we are encouraged to become not people with some cosmetic changes that look a bit better and sound a bit smarter, but people who have actually become new people. Friends, I don't know about you. I need that. I think I know you do. And I know our world. Our world doesn't even believe there's a community like that that exists. <laughs> and yet Jesus has offered it to us in his church. And that is what we get to come back to in these days.